Thank you for joining us at the Self-Care Doc Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Brown, and here we go today with Dr. Janice and Colin. Let's get to it. together, not wrap together because that's not something we do here, but we're going to join together. We're going to tie together all of the, there's the word I was looking for, tie the phrase, tie together the last few weeks we've been talking about masculinity and femininity, which is always fun to try to say. And we brought in a group of men and asked them, what's it mean to be a man in today's society and what are the influences you've had throughout your life and how's that changed throughout generations? Then we asked a group of women the same question. What's it mean to be a man in today's society and the influences? We followed that up with what's it mean to be a woman and asked the men first. And then, of course, the women, what's it mean to be a woman? And we're going to kind of explore some of that today. And so Colin is going to, as, as Colin is the newest member of the self-care doc team. Um, so <laughs> today as we're getting into it, uh, Colin uh, is going to be asking some questions to Dr. Janice and myself. And we're going to kind of add some more depth to the conversations over the last few weeks. So with that, Colin, over to you. Yeah, uh, really excited to be here. A little bit nervous. Uh, takes a lot of preparation to sit in a room with two psychologists as a uh, as, as one person. The door is locked. I'm a little scared. But, um, you know, I really, after listening to um, the last month's worth of, of podcast, uh, it was really exciting. And what I'd like to do is just bring it back to the so-called professionals in the room and get your reaction to uh, what it is uh, that was said or maybe what wasn't said. And so I think the first question I have, and I'll just throw it out there for for both of you, is like we just heard about a, a lot of vulnerability on those podcasts, a lot of people talking about their life experiences. Um, when you think about men and women and in society, where we are today, from a clinical standpoint, um, you know, from a mental health clinical standpoint, who is more receptive to counseling, hmm. men or women? I still have to say women, yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, when you look at the data, it certainly still is women, and that is what I see in my practice. Mm -hmm. I would say at least 80% females are the ones who will make the first call or the ones who will uh, come in primarily. Yeah, I would agree with that. Actually, the research shows about one in four women in America will receive mental health treatment. And that's from, I think, 2021. Um, it, but it's interesting because I oftentimes, and Janice, I wonder if this is the same for you, many times even when I get men into my office, it's usually the, the the moms or the wives or the girlfriends or whoever that's calling to make the appointment. <laughs> yes. And so it's like, oh, wait a minute. Um, now I do a lot of work with men just with my military background and whatnot and law enforcement work. Um, however, when you look at the actual statistics of the age of who comes to therapy, you look at who's taking more medication, who's doing more actual therapy, there's a lot to be kind of questioned there because I think men tend to go to their buddies. They go have a beer and they talk about it and say, hey, you know, What's this like? You know, I did this. Did Have you ever had this? Yep, this is what you do, and it's problem solved. They try it, but I think they're missing a lot in that because they're getting another guy's perspective. They're not getting another good guy's perspective all the time. 
sometimes they're just getting some anecdotal, hey, well, I tried this or I heard a buddy say this, where women, they actually explore the depths of that. You know, they might say, hey, I'm struggling with this, and they might get that, yeah, he's an asshole kind of thing, but they'll actually go to the depths of why and what you could do, and they actually look for the problem solving differently than I think that men do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. When we look at those numbers, though, just to throw these out there, um, overwhelmingly, uh, women, uh, about 20, uh, it was, I think it was 20.6% of women in America are on some type of mental health medication mm-hmm. as opposed to men, which is 10.7%. Mm-hmm. So half that number is, uh, and that's, that's, I think that says a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would kind of pose the question to the group here as well. Why do you think women are more medicated uh, than men? That is... A very wide open question, isn't as a, it? As a psychiatric nurse practitioner, you're the yes. only one that gets to really yes. give the clinical side of that one. Well, I think it certainly starts, as you said, more women will go into therapy, they will seek therapy, um, so they have an opportunity to get treatment and get down to some diagnostics that are going on. More women will go into their doctors, talk about their feelings, talk about what's going on, uh, so many people now who practice primary care um, and certainly gynecology are doing screenings for depression, anxiety, safety in the home. Great point. And the like. So we are seeing these things treated. So that's the good news and the good side of it. Um, Not all of my patients take medication. So I do practice counseling and psychiatry, but again, all of my patients do not take medication. Mm -hmm. It, this is a treatable disease, and we're learning more and more about it. So why women take more medications than men? Many men don't even want to go to the doctor. Right. And uh, I don't know what the statistics are off of the top of my head for things like alcoholism and the statistics of men to women, because I see a lot of medicating certainly with men and women. But when we look at, quote, drugs of choice, Mm -hmm. alcohol is a major drug of choice. And uh, so I don't know. I know we know that many people who have depression or anxiety or mood disorders, they do have that dual diagnosis where they're utilizing some type of drug, the drug being alcohol, sex, marijuana, shopping, gambling, all of those things. Work. Thank you. Yes, work. So... When people are unhappy, they're going to medicate. If it's going to be a medication uh, that's prescribed, that's the best way to go if you're going to do something like that. I mean, all we have to do is look at the you know situation that's going on with some of the things on the street right now. Right. So the big thing with mood, and I'm so grateful you do what you do here, is getting the word out to take care of yourself that these things are treatable. So getting in there and treating them. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think even further, it's not just treating. It's so many of them are preventable. Mm-hmm. And I think if, uh, you know, Colin and I, we were having a conversation earlier today as we were waiting on Dr. Janice because she was late. Waiting no. on a woman. Waiting on a woman. There you go. <laughs> um, um, I, I think one of the things that we were talking about was um, if we would put half of the effort into preparation in relationships, our divorce rates would be shot. I mean, they would, we would have so many more effective, healthy relationships. And I know for myself, I do a lot of uh, couples work. If people would just understand the basics of that, 
of what it takes to be in a healthy dynamic because it's not about the reality of you, you have to avoid all fighting. It's learning to quote unquote fight fair in yes. relationships. And in order to do that, you got to realize that you're born into a family and into an environment where you learn a certain language. And so is your partner. That doesn't mean those two languages are going to sync. And so you need to relearn how to have a new language in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I do a peanut butter sandwich uh, kind of exercise in my office with clients. And that's one of the biggest keys is you're learning a new language together. And when I say pencil, this means pencil. When I say knife, this means knife. Um, and so having that kind of influence, but that more so that understanding and appreciation for it. And Janice, I do want to say, I really like your perspective there of what you said. There's medication and medicated. And I think those two different perspectives, because we, we find that, that, and I think, am I saying the word, is that the word you would use for like work and sex and all the different things? I really like that, that distinction. It's not just a chemical that's regulated by a, a medical professional or uh, the FDA or whomever, but the stuff that people are doing that's out on the street, there's so many variables that influence that that it can be laced with something or it can just be altered in some way. You don't know what you're getting, so use a medical professional. Now, the research we know is therapy is effective. Medication can be very effective, but therapy and medication can be extremely effective because oftentimes when somebody takes, takes just a medication, the symptomology comes back when they stop. They're feeling better and like, oh, this is great, and they just just cut it off and they don't even titrate down or slow or back off of it, and all the stuff comes back because they didn't learn the behavioral side. And the alternative, therapy, sometimes you need that little extra kick, that little help to get the behavioral side kind of really moving. Absolutely. So make sure to talk to your medical team. Well, yes. It, yes. It, as somebody who has um, experienced a lot of this, like um, my background, um, you know, ha- have some trauma in my background, uh, both growing up and as well as uh, professionally in the military. And and um, I, I can kind of relate to everything that you're saying is I felt like when I was using a substance, it turned into my medication. And I, I was kind of medication averse. And I, I can't tell you why, but it was like, well, I feel better when I drink, but not realizing the side effects of that is is a depression that's that's lingering and an avoidance of the issues. And I'd, I'd like to transition that into, we talked about, uh, at least with the men, the idea of stoicism, right? And and whether that is a manly trait or if it's really repressing emotions. And one of the things that was said um, when we were men talking about the role of men um, and kind of bringing it back to what Dr. Brown just said in, in the idea of speaking the same language, there was a comment made about, I would never talk to my significant other about the issues in my life because I would never do that. Um, I'd like to throw that out. And how much do you see that type of interaction when you are meeting with couples? Um, And what would you say if there are listeners out there saying, yeah, I absolutely agree that, that this is like, I'm being stoic and I'm, I'm not going to let my emotions get into my relationship. What would your response be from a clinical standpoint? They are going to get in trouble. Yeah. You know, my dad was a dentist in a little town, and he had this sign in his waiting room. And I always thought it was kind of funny. And the sign said, ignore your teeth, and they will go away. <laughs> and I've always wanted to have a sign now in my waiting room that says, ignore your feelings, and your relationships will go away. 
Yeah. I, I think we really, can make that happen. I was actually thinking, ne- neglect your spouse and they will go, and they will go away. I'm going to write that down. Um, so, But we're also talking about, when I'm saying re- ignoring your feelings, yes, with the spouse, but also self. You know, when we're talking about love, love of self, love of others. And if we don't have that, if we're ignoring feelings about ourself and what's going on with us, we are not going to be able to have any type of relationship that is healthy. And there is such a confusion between self-care and selfish. I see women get really drugged down into the quagmire of all of the, it's selfish to do this, it's selfish to do this, and the big difference between, again, self-care versus selfish. Yeah. Because I always tell people, if I don't have any ice cream in my ice cream cone, I can't say, hey, Dr. Brown, this is like the best ice cream ever. You want to taste it? Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't do that. That would just be mean. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got to, you know, go yeah, ahead. And, and I think I, I think we do that for, for in so many dynamics, so many different relationships. Uh, one of the things that uh, we talk about on the live a lot is if we don't take care of ourselves, we have nothing to give to somebody else. You know, John Kennedy, I know we talked about that of uh, in the late 50s when he was running for Senate. And they asked him, you know, Mr. Kennedy, who are you going to vote for? And he looked at him in his little Bostonian accent and said, if I don't vote for me, why should I expect somebody else to? Mm-hmm. Said differently, and this is from a book called, uh, well, I won't ruin the title yet, but Og Mandino wrote a book. And it was one of the pivotal books in my life because of these last phrases when they said, out of these hundreds of millions of sperm from your father and these hundreds of thousands of eggs from your mother, God chose you to come forth. Never in the history of mankind and never again in the history of mankind will there ever be another exactly like you. And the title of the book, that's what makes each of us the the greatest miracle in the world. And when we look at things from that perspective, I want to make sure that I'm honoring my faith. I'm going to make sure I'm honoring God by taking care of the gifts he's blessed me with so that I can use those gifts and serve him with others. And I think we forget that so often. And Colin, I love your question because really what comes to my mind with that is why do couples not communicate the most significant things they need to be communicating, those insecurities, those struggles, And the first thing that comes to my mind is they don't feel safe. If I am vulnerable and I open up about this and you reject me, you neglect it, you avoid it, whatever, that's affecting me. That's going to tell me this is not a safe environment. And so I'm going to go look for it somewhere else or I'm going to go talk to somebody else. And oftentimes we go to our friends to talk to them and they don't always help our situation. They they help us, but maybe not our bigger situation because they don't want to risk that friendship. Right. And so that safety, I think, is the number one thing that couples really need to work on is having that place to just say, this is how I'm feeling, and for their partner to actually receive that message and not judge it or try to fix it. Mm -hmm. There is a very old book here. I'm really dating myself, but it's by John Powell. And the name of the book is Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? Hmm. And I'm going to botch the quote a bit here. However, the bottom line is uh, paraphrasing Why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Because if I tell you who I am and you don't like that, that is all I have. And so it's that rejection. Yeah. Yeah. Rejection and safety. And that's, and just to give everybody kind of a heads up, uh, through the month of February, of course, now we're in February, which is just silly. Um, Through the month of February, we're not going to capitalize on this whole Valentine's Day thing. It brings up so much hurt for so many people, and it brings up love and happiness for a lot of people as well. What we are going to be doing, though, is over, over the next four weeks or so, 
is we're talking about love. We're talking about relationships. We're talking about the things that actually matter to build those things up, to actually make them last for the rest of your life. And in doing that, that's also how to have relationships with your children, how to have relationships with coworkers, with neighbors, how to be love and experience love the way it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we look at, uh, in America, we have, thank you for Jerry Maguire for this, we have this idea of love and this one concept of you complete me, which I think is complete crap. It's, that suggests that you're not a complete human by yourself. But we look at it and the Greeks have five different versions of love. We need to adopt these better understandings of what love actually is. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we're looking at throughout the month of February. So please stay, stay tuned for that. There will be a lot of uh, really good information in that, and we're very excited about that process. So. Well, and for those listeners that just heard that too, um, you know, I think throughout the month of February, some of our topic is going to be how to love yourself yes. if you're not in a relationship, because we look at the Hallmark holiday. Valentine's Day, all about couples. But if we start with us, and if you're out there and you hate Valentine's Day, or you know somebody who does, tell them to tune in, because I think this month is going to be really exciting. And like, I, I think that's a good transition for some of the conversations. You, you got to say like, share, and follow, and subscribe. <laughs> Come on, Colin. <laughs> I knew you're, you're, you're newest to the team here. You got to really hammer this stuff. I, I knew that <laughs> you would do it. That's why. So <laughs> as we kind of talk about this, um, and we've talked about Um, speaking two languages and opening up, and if I tell you who I am, um, and and transitioning into this idea of what can we do in the month of February uh, to bolster our relationship with ourselves and with others, um, I'm going to pose a question. Is there a large amount or any amount of couples that are coming to see the two of you um, because they want a strong relationship and they're coming because they want to learn how to build that before there's problems. Like, hey, I'm entering a new relationship. Maybe it makes sense to do couples counseling so we can start off on the right foot. What would your reaction be to that idea? Would it be healthy? Are you seeing it? Let's just kind of talk about that idea. My reaction is yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Do Punch it. Down. Bingo. Yes, absolutely. She, um, she said bingo. Yes. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, it, it is such an incredible blessing when I get something like that. And it really is a lot of forethought when couples will do that. Um, I don't see it very often. I don't, how about you, Dr. Brown? I would say out of the couples, I'd say probably 65 to 70%, but I accept that. And I own that feeling, um, out of the couples, I'd say I probably have maybe 60 to 70% of my clientele right now is couples. And I love couples work, um, with couples, I'd say probably one in seven or eight don't have major issues yet. And it's challenging because they're going to. And maybe they've just been lucky. Maybe they've been avoiding it. There's so many kind of nuanced kind of things. Most, and the research will support this, the average couple doesn't uh, identify a problem uh, until, doesn't actually start working on a problem until about seven years after it becomes an issue. They don't come to therapy till about three years after it's a major issue. And so we're supposed to unscrew it somehow. somehow. Mm-hmm. And when I start with a couple, one of the first things I focus on is what is the key, what is the point of communication? And they'll say uh, to, you know, to make sure my ideas are getting across, make sure, you know, they understand my point of view. And that's the biggest answer. Make sure they understand my, per- my perspective or my, my point of view, try to get them on the same page. 
But the basic core of conversation and communication is just to exchange information. Person A says what they need to. Person B says what they need to. Now, collectively, collectively, we both have the same information. And so when you do it that way, you're honoring each other, but you're also given space to feel that safety and not feeling that neglect. And when you actually do that, and what I tell folks is also, at the end of that conversation, you don't solve it. You don't come up with a, a solution, resolution. You set another time to have that conversation, just a five-minute conversation. You know, sleep on it. Hey, tomorrow before we go to work, let's just, five minutes, let's just wrap this together. Now you've slept on it for the same amount of time. You get together and say, okay, this is what we were talking about. Here's what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts? Bam, conversation's done. When you actually, and it sounds monotonous and silly to do it this way, I assure you, if you listen to nothing else, do that process and invite the conversation, but actually respect and honor each other in the conversation. Remembering you married this person. Why would you want to neglect and, and avoid and critique every damn thing they said? Your job is not to do that. Your job is to amplify what they are, not what you want them to be. If you follow that sequence of conversation, your relationship, you, you, you almost affair proof and divorce proof a relationship just by doing that. Right. Not I love in all that. cases. There's my disclaimer. So, so what I'm hearing is nice it, therapeutic response. Listen to him. Yeah. What yeah. I hear you saying is right. But for the listeners, right? It, you know, and putting this in a uh, in layman's terms, because I'm the only one here that doesn't have a professional degree in this, is like in a relationship, I'm speaking Spanish, my partner's speaking Greek, and if there's an opportunity for us to speak us up front and in the beginning. That's what couples counseling can do. It doesn't always have to be post-affair or post-domestic violence or whatever the case is out there. Yeah. Like, this is a way to speak us. Yeah, very well said. I mean, that's, that's excellent. It's, it's, it's kind of a preventative counseling. And sometimes people will hear the phrase of therapy and they're like, oh, my gosh, that means we're broken. No, you think about the idea. It's mental health. It's about being healthy mentally. It's about wellness. It's a vitamin. It's a vitamin. That's a, yeah. It's a, yes, it's something you take. There you go. Yes, it's hmm. learning. You know, yeah. So much of, I think, therapy uh, or counseling and the like is learning. Learning to do things in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing with the communication, Dr. Brown, that you were talking about that I believe is important to put in there is, the and I've said this so many times, but... I know what I am saying, but I don't know what you are hearing. Yes. And that is huge because whatever situation we come from, uh, usually our primary care providers, and when I say that, I mean growing up, you know, whoever's taking care of us the most. You know, we all have stuff growing up. You know, parents have the best of intentions and the like, or whoever's raising us. Or teachers, Hopefully. coaches. Correct. Yeah. However... Things will hit us in ways that hurt us. And we have these, I call them little filters, that you may say, hey, Janice, that dress looks really nice. And I may hear, you're saying my butt looks big? What do, what do you mean? Because I have these issues with a big buttocks or something. Every guy on the listening, uh, listening is like, oh my gosh, I know that. That's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my point is, you know, you know what you're saying, but you don't know what the other person hears. And so often yeah. what they're hearing is not what you're saying. Yeah. 
And that's why the back and forth, I don't know what it was called when you did your training. We called it mirror talking. Yeah, we, we, we were taught reflective listening. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's the other piece that, yes, making sure I know what you're saying, but the piece in that mirror talking, whatever it is, what I hear you saying is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going through that until we get it right. Right. And I think uh, recently we were talking about this. I don't remember if it was on a podcast or live or video or whatever. Um, but uh, kind of my perspective on that is I think we focus so much on trying to listen and what we should be focusing on in a conversation with, especially a partner, is learning from their perspective or learning why they're talking to us more than we just just listen. Because anybody can repeat back to you what you said, but to actually show an understanding and an appreciation of why their message is relevant I think is so valuable because you're saying I'm putting cognitive and emotional real estate inside of me and reserving it just for you. And I want to make sure I appreciate what it is that you're, you're bringing to me. And I think what you just said, Dr. Brown kind of came up in the conversations we've been having over the last month. Right. Um, And specifically around some of the men said that the most romantic thing that they could receive from a female partner is support. Yeah. And I think what you just hit on the head is exactly that, is like, I'm not just listening to you to hear your head rattle. I'm listening to you to understand and find out where I can be. Thanks so much for joining us today. Make sure to listen for part two as we'll continue the conversation with Dr. Janice and Colin on this topic. You tell me you were wrong. Short on the ground